morning, we don't have a bumper for you today. You guys don't have seats? Come up here, man. Come up here close. Y'all really don't have seats? Um, you noticed when you came in that uh, renovation started a couple of weeks ago, but with VBS, we kind of had it have it hidden, and uh, that's why the bathrooms down there are not usable. But now you're starting to see the walls. I, I'm really amazed that it looks good, this good this morning, to be honest with you, because, uh, man, dust has been everywhere. Walls have been knocked down, and and uh, slowly making its way down the the last, I think the painters are coming in this week. The last thing will eventually be the flooring. And so, man, it's just good to see. And, and uh, uh, there'll be more dust. But dust dust is good because I, I like for you to see dust and let you know that if you just showed up every week and it was just clean, you think, well, what are we, we really doing? Well, I want you to see dust. And so it's a, it's a good deal. Um, there you go. There you go. Uh how many of you are into Ancestry.com kind of stuff? Any any of you into that kind of? Okay. Uh, uh, it's not a sin. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> people are a little timid about that. Uh, you know, I, we're all interested in our DNA and the way we are. We, we've, not, we've not done any of that. Uh, I think mine came back that I was 80% Native American, and I think they had a problem with that. There's no, you can tell me, uh, there is nothing in me that, uh, I, I'm some, some, uh, Heinz 57 type of mutt is what I am, but, uh, this is, this is the way it is. But some of you are really into that, and, and, uh, it's really interesting. We all want to know where we came from. I, 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 I read something this week. I didn't really want to get into genealogy, keeping, kept putting it off. When I started within six weeks, I had my father narrowed down to one of three or four people. And I thought, man, that's, that's the way it is. Mark, Mark Twain said this. He says, why waste your money uh, looking up your family tree? Just go into politics and your opponents will do it for you. And I thought, that's, that's uh, kind of the truth. Um, but we all are very interested in, in that. Um, and we start thinking about our genealogy because we think, where did I come from? Um, you know, what, what is my background? Because that's a, that's a huge deal. Today we're going to be looking at uh, not so much your physical DNA, but literally we're going to look at the facts of your spiritual DNA of where you came from. Uh, the other thing I want you to think about with me right quick is this. There are certain places that you go that there's just a, a, a reverence once you're there. Uh, let me let me give you an example. Uh, Seventy-five years ago, here at the first of June, we experienced uh, D-Day, and so when people walk the beaches of Normandy, even today, you you have this solemn thought and, and realization: something significant happened here that changed the world, and so you feel that Pearl Harbor. We've been to Pearl Harbor. You get that same kind of feeling that something significantly happened here that changed history. Um, Gettysburg, if you go to any of the battlefields, you just get this solemn feeling of what, what happened there. And some of you have got other places that you've just gone, and, and there's, this, there's this solemnness that comes. 
For me, personally, uh, uh, since I have not been to all of those places, but one for for me in particular, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago in a message, it's Caesarea in in Israel. We've had the chance to go several times, So, uh, but there's a reason, and I want to kind of connect that with our spiritual DNA today as we look at this, but... But in Caesarea, it is, uh, it's a port, uh, city. Herod the Great built. It's incredible architecture. In it today, it would have been incredible. But it's right on the Mediterranean. It's, it's gorgeous. They've got this huge amphitheater that you're still able to go into and realize that some incredible things happen right there. But there's an awe, uh, a reverence that happens as, as I'm there. And, and it has to do everything with how it affected my life to where I'm even doing what I am today. And I will get into that a little bit more because not only me, but for all of you. And uh, this, is, this, is, this isn't um, earth shattering. This is heaven shattering. This is eternal stuff that we're looking at today. So if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 10. And um, Acts chapter 10. And what we're going to do is... We're going to, I'm going to ask you to keep your Bible or your device there. I always encourage you to jot down notes. I think it helps you. But uh, we're, going to, we're going to take Acts chapter 10. We're going to consume the whole chapter. We're going to break it into four scenes, okay? Imagine you're at a drama unfolding, and there's four scenes here. And uh, let's begin with scene one. Scene one begins with Acts chapter uh, 10, verse 1. So uh, follow along with me as we read. At Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, that means he was a Roman officer over a hundred men, of what was known as the Italian cohort. Now, just so that you have uh, just the facts, is that when we read the scripture, all of mankind was broke down into two distinct races, basically. You had your Jews, who were the chosen people of God, and then you had Gentiles, those that weren't Jews. Uh, some of you maybe have some Jewish ancestry here. Me, I'm Gentile. If you were to look at an ancestry, I would fall into the Gentile category. Uh, so would Cornelius. He was a Gentile. But this is what it says about him. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed continually to God. If you were to say... This is a guy who's got it together, spiritually, a religious guy. This would be him. He devout, feared God, gave away um, uh, alms generously, and he prayed ongoing. Verse 3, about the ninth hour, this is 3 o'clock of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send me, send men to Joppa. Joppa is going to be about 40 miles away. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. End of scene one. You see, we're introduced to Cornelius. He is a a Gentile, but he is a God-seeking man. He is doing the things that are incredible. He is hungry. He is devoted. He fears God. He gives alms. He prays. 
However, something was missing in his life. This is important to know. You can do all of the right stuff and there still be something missing there. There just seemed to be something that, that wasn't completely connecting for him. He was doing the right things. And many times we are doing the right things, but we're thinking, God, where are you? We're, I, I'm wanting to, to get a hold of you so bad, but there's something missing. The way I, I describe it, it's like a lamp that has all the oil in it, but there's nothing to ignite it. There's no flame to ignite it. And it's there, it's waiting for something to ignite it. Or uh, another kind of modern day illustration. I keep a grill up here at the, on the church campus. Now that's not that big a deal. But I grill with propane at home, but, but this grill up here is charcoal. I, I use it either grilling for the staff or grilling for different groups. We'll grill burgers every now and then. And uh, it's charcoal lighter, though. This past Tuesday, uh, our quilting ladies who meet up on the third floor every Tuesday morning, I, I wanted to bless them, so uh, I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grill burgers for the, the quilting ladies. And so uh, I bring my, from the house, I bring charcoal, I bring a lighter fluid. Uh, I thought I had everything I need. I get up here, I set my grill up out there, I put all the charcoal in, man, take the lighter fluid. I, there's art to soaking it just properly. And it's, it is ready to go, but I was missing one thing. I was missing some kind of ignition to set this thing off. It was ready to go. Everything about it was there, but there was nothing to ignite it. So, I, uh, you're always grateful for kids ministry. So, what, what I, what I went up, I went up to Susan, who handles uh, most of our resources, and I said, Susan, you got any kind of uh, lighting implement? I need to, to light my charcoal. And sure enough, in our resource room, she had a bag of lighters, and I thought, man, so if you ever need a lighter, go up to the third floor, and uh, they have them for you. But I, but I was able to get the ignition. But listen, everything was set, everything was ready, but something was missing. There, the igniting wasn't there. See, that's the way Cornelius' life was. He was doing the right things. He was so hungry for the things of God, but yet there was something missing that was there. And he couldn't put his finger on it, and all of a sudden God shows up to him. Here's my question for you. Each scene is going to have a question. I want you to think about this. Is something missing in your life? You're doing the right things. You're, you're, man, you're at church on a Sunday in the middle of the summer. You can be out the lake. You can be doing other things. But you're here. There's something. But, but the question is, do you ever sense something missing? I sometimes ask myself this question. I've been a Christian, a Christ follower for over 50 years of my life. And I'm thinking, is this it? Is this what it's supposed to look like? Or God, is there something missing? I'm doing the right things. But it, it, have you truly ignited me to accomplish all that you want to accomplish? And I ask you the same thing. Do you ever feel like spiritually you're just going through the motions or that you're going through the motions because someday when you step out of here, you're thinking, oh, I, I want to go to heaven, so I'm going to do this, thinking that that's going to be the result, but really there's something missing. See, that's what was going on in Cornelius' life, but yet God stepped up and he gave a messenger to Cornelius. And the messenger came and said, listen, your prayers have been heard. They have been heard. And so what happened was, is that uh, uh, 
he said, send these men to Joppa. And there's a guy by the name there of Simon Peter. Go and find him. And it says, verse 9, it says, the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. This is scene two. And it's around noon, sixth hour is at noon. So Peter is up on this roof and he's praying, but uh, he is he is also going to get hungry. Verse 10, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. God will declare what is clean. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, the original language means he doubted. I mean, I, I know as I slept last night, there were some dreams because I, I just thought, man, uh, there were some dreams I had. But when the morning, there comes this vapor and you just don't remember them anymore. Every now and then, if you do remember one, you're, you're lucky. But most of them are like vapor. And that's the way uh, Peter is. He's, he's thinking, man, did I really have that? There was a doubting that even came. So now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. You see the picture. These three people show up. They begin to call and ask about Peter. Verse 19. And while Peter was pondering, he couldn't get it off his mind. While he was pondering this vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And so here we are, scene two. And what happens is, is that these people show up. Now, listen, Peter is the man. Peter is the one who Jesus called. Peter is the one who kind of rose to the top of the disciples. Peter is the one who ended up eventually denying Jesus. But at the end of John's gospel, he restores him and, he, and Jesus restores Peter and he says, go and feed my sheep. And so what happens is Peter is there. And when the, when the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost, Peter is the one that the Holy Spirit filled in such a way that was the first spokesman preached the first sermon after the Holy Spirit came. Thousands were converted just like that, transformed under under Peter's preaching. Peter was a leader in the church. Peter was the man, and he happened to be 40 miles away in Joppa so that the vision is given to Cornelius to go and get Peter. And sure enough, here comes Peter. But Peter is up there, and he is having these visions, and this is what's happening. God is about to do a mighty work, and he's preparing Peter, who had been through all these things, for this work. God was going to have to challenge Peter in his thought processes Peter was still caught up in the law of the unclean foods and the clean foods. And, and the Lord was trying to get him to say, listen, what's important is people. And what we've done is we've taken unclean uh, foods and clean foods and we've started to label people that way. You can't do that. I will determine. God is saying, I will determine what is clean and what is unclean. 
And so what he's doing, he's attacking all the prejudices of Peter all of a sudden. And, and, the, and the huge prejudice for any Jew would have been a non-Jew, which was a Gentile. And he's attacking those prejudices all of a sudden. God will challenge you. He will challenge your prejudices. How you feel about races, how you feel about genders, how you feel about lifestyles. He is going to attack that because he says, I will determine what is clean and unclean. I will, my gospel is for everybody. And so he will attack those prejudices that are there, just like he did Peter's. And God is showing that he is in charge. Verse 20, he said, I have orchestrated this whole deal that is about to take place. God calls Peter to the unorthodox challenge that he has for him. Just like Jonah. You remember Jonah in the Old Testament? God told Jonah, he called him out. He said, I want you to go to the the city of Nineveh and I want you to preach to them there so that they'll repent. Now, these were enemies of Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go to his enemies. In other words, he would rather his enemies be dead. He didn't want to go preach to them about God so they'll repent. So what does he do? He gets in a boat to take off and it says that God prepared a big fish to swallow him and come puke him out onto onto the shoreline. And that's what he did. Listen, God can do what he's going to do because he has a divine plan. And that's what he is sharing with Peter here. I have orchestrated this whole thing. I have a plan that is going to be fulfilled. Here's my question for you. Is God challenge you to attempt the impossible and unorthodox today? I love it when kids go to camp. I, I love the experience of camp and uh, the the. I also pray more for our kids when they come back from camp, even then while they're at camp, because that's when the enemy is most prone to attack. But yet I love to hear testimonies of kids who are willing to say, God is calling me to do something. And I need to step out and do it. Not just talk about it. Not just not just get hyped up about something, but to go out and be a world changer. But it's not just for kids. Most of you in this room, the Holy Spirit nudges, and I call them nudges. Uh, with our men back this spring, I, I took them through a book called The Ten Second Rule. Don't look up Ten Second Rule in your concordance. It's not going to be in your Bible. But the premise of the book is this, is that, you know, when you get those nudges from the Holy Spirit to call somebody, to talk to somebody, to pray for somebody, to encourage somebody to help somebody, if you don't respond within 10 seconds, you're going to rationalize that away. And those nudges do come, but we need to learn how to respond to those nudges. What nudges is the Holy Spirit giving you today? Who is He maybe sending you to, to love and to encourage and to give the word of the gospel to? Who is He maybe sending you to, to serve? It could be the unorthodox. He may be attacking your prejudice today. But what is it in your life? He's not wasting time. He is wanting to fulfill this. But many of us are scared. There's a story about when the Moravian missionary movement started. That the, This was in the height of slave trade. And how were they going to get the gospel to these slaves? The owners were not willing to let anybody come and, and at least share the gospel or the good news to these slaves. So what happened is, is two Moravian young men 
felt like the way that they could make this happen was to allow themselves to be sold into slavery so that they could go and share the gospel with slaves. Let me tell you, that is unorthodox. But that kicked off the Moravian missionary movement that made world change that we're still benefiting from this very day. What unorthodox thing may be God calling you to? And you're thinking, I'm too timid, God. I can't do that. I'm too young or I'm too introverted. God, I cannot do that. It reminds me of the story of the little boy who was on the second floor of his house and the house was burning and he, he could not see the smoke. There's no way to go back down and he's at the window and his dad is down, down on the ground and he's saying, son, jump and I'll catch you. And the little boy responds, but dad, I can't see you. And the dad says, jump, I will catch you, but dad, I can't see you. And then the dad responded back this way. He says, but son, I can see you. See, some of you today, God is calling into an impossible situation with your eyes. And you're saying, God, I just can't see you in this. He said, but I can see you in this. And I will be with you in this. So what maybe is the impossible, unorthodox that God is calling you to today. Let's go to scene 3, verse 21. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel. There it is, that divine appointment. To send for you and to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. And the next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. Notice how Peter's heart is already changed in verse 23. He invited them in. Never before would he have invited a Gentile into his house, but now he has done that. Let's continue on to verse 24. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how lawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Peter has got the message. This isn't talking about food. This is talking about people. That all people are important to you, God. Verse 29. So when I was sent for, I came without this objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour... I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Now, what has happened? You see the scene. I don't have to describe it all to you, but here they come. Forty miles they've walked. Peter shows up at Cornelius' house. 
Cornelius, in the meantime, has got all his close friends, all his family, because he loves them so much. He believes that something spiritually significant, eternal, is about to take place, and he wants them all in their house. His house is bursting at the seams. And here comes Peter, who all of a sudden is willing to go into the house of this Gentile. All of his prejudices are gone. And he's willing to go in there, and he goes into the house, and uh, uh, they are there uh, prepared for what is going to happen. There was, the best way I can describe it is, there was great anticipation of something big was about to happen. The, I, I tried to think about anticipation a little bit. I thought about a bride getting ready for her wedding. There's, there's nothing bigger for a young lady as she prepares for her wedding. For months in advance, she is preparing and anticipating. The night before her wedding, she's, she's probably so nervous and anxious about the whole thing that she doesn't sleep well. And there's an incredible anticipation of what's about to take place that next day. That is minor compared to what I thought the anticipation was in the house of Cornelius this day. But I thought about... Also, I, I, I thought about um, other things that maybe you, you can't sleep. You, you just are anticipating so much that you just think, man, I, I, this is going to happen. The, the, another one is that when you're outside in the hot day and the clouds start coming like they did yesterday, but, but the clouds come and they get thick and you know there's rain in those clouds, you just anticipate what is about to happen. That is the kind of anticipation that was there. I'm afraid we have lost the awe of God in our anticipation today. Here's my, here's my scene three personal question for you. Do you really, in your heart of hearts, anticipate God to move? Do you really anticipate that? Or has it become routine-ish? A service is not measured by how God moved, but it's measured by, did the message intrigue me? Did the worship, did the music, did it satisfy me? Did I see my friends? Was it comfortable for me? Instead of, I, I wanted to meet God, and God was there. Do you understand when that anticipation is there, things go to new levels? Do you really anticipate God to move? Hudson Taylor, the inland, uh, China Inland Missions, who started the great mission work in China, was one day on a sailing vessel, and there was no wind, and the vessel in the current was kind of drifting towards an island where they knew that known cannibals existed on that island. The captain came to Hudson Taylor, knowing he was a Christian man, and he said to Hudson Taylor, Would you pray for God to send wind? Pray for God to send wind. And Hudson Taylor said this to the captain. He said, I will pray for God to send wind when you're willing to set the sails first. You know, what happens is, is that sometimes we're not setting our own sails. Cornelius brought all his family because he believed something was going to happen. He wanted his family and friends a part of what was going to be happening. He sent servants to go get Peter. He believed something was going to happen. He was putting his own resources out there. He was setting the sails for what was going to take place. What do you anticipate? 
When you think that rain is going to come, you grab your umbrella because you're anticipating rain. But do we come here expecting a spiritual outpouring of God? Scene 4 begins with verse 34 to the end of the chapter. So Peter opened his mouth and he said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. There's no prejudice with God. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Anyone who fears, anyone who does right is acceptable. As for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. Remember what He says, peace through Jesus Christ. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness That everyone, you can underline that, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still saying these things, the gall of God to interrupt a sermon. Man, I love to be preaching and this happened. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. The word fell there. You, you read the book of Acts, you'll have different terminologies of how the Holy Spirit came upon people. The word fell here means there was an immersion in the room. He took over. He rushed in. In other words, the whole atmosphere of the room changed when Peter shared about Jesus. The room changed. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Here's another thought. Poured out. Distribute upon every individual who was in that room. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. They were extolling God. They were magnifying God. They were making much of God greatness. Not much of Peter's preaching. Not much of the servants that went and got him. Not much of Cornelius. They were making much of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He makes much of God. And that's what he is saying here. And then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Here's scene four. Scene four is Peter begins to speak. And what he speaks is he speaks for every person. And he shares what we call is the gospel. The gospel is this. It's good news. The gospel is this. Mankind is broken. 
We're sinful. We're separated from God. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to us. Mankind took Jesus and they killed him on a cross, but he willingly gave his life. Three days later, he rose from the dead, and one day he's going to be the judge of all the living and the dead. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. But it's how you respond to that good news. But that is what Peter has declared. And as he declared who truly Jesus was, as he was commanded to do, it says the Spirit just came and he rushed in and the room was different all of a sudden because of the presence of God. And the response of man was this. Simple. Believe, receive, and become. You believe who Jesus is. The facts about who he is, what he came to do, that one day he will be the judge of the living and the dead. And you receive him. You know yourself that you are sinful, you're separated from God, and you receive what he has done for you. And then you become. In my terminology, what I use mostly in my journal is this. You get your identity in what Christ has done for you, and then you seek to have intimacy with him, And out of that, your life becomes an expression. What we're guilty of a lot of times is taking people, try to clean out the outside, and the inside has never been changed. How many are expecting the government to legislate morality? It's not going to happen, people. That's not going to happen. It's when a heart change is when an expression changes. That's why we need the gospel in our country. The identity, we have our identity in Christ. If you're finding anything, hear from a guy that struggles with this. If you're finding your identity in anything other than what God has done for you through Jesus Christ, you're going to be left short every time. If you're expecting it from other people, if you're expecting it from a job, if you're expecting it from money, if you're expecting it from the applause of of men, it's not going to happen. And we all struggle with that. But our identity is set in Christ alone. Then our intimacy comes. We want to know Him. The Bible is talking over and over again about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That God is close to the brokenhearted. That for those who seek Him is what the Bible tells us, that intimacy. Next week, when we gather, we're going to be doing the Lord's Supper together here. We have it every Sunday, but we're going to be taking it together. Why is that? Well, it's a, it's, sometimes it's a restoration of the intimacy. And we forget our identity, and we need that intimacy to draw close. But listen, it is so important then that our lives become an expression that reigns from our identity with Christ. Then our lives become an expression. Listen, church, we have no voice. If our lives are not expressing Jesus, we have no voice. And so when when our identity is set in Christ, we're seeking to know Him. Then His Spirit allows us to be an expression to a world that desperately needs Him. I'm afraid the church is running on fumes today instead of the Spirit of God. And our world is not taking notice. And so what Cornelius has experienced here all of a sudden is there's a life change. He was seeking it, and he was doing the right thing. He was setting his sails. He was giving alms. He was praying. He was, he was devoted. He was setting his sails. And now the Word of God has come, and the Holy Spirit filled him up. 
And then it says this, which is really strange. He says that they, here's water. Simon Peter speaking. Here's water. Why can't they be baptized? Baptize them now. And he commanded them to be baptized. Next week we're going to baptize as well. And uh, so oftentimes we think, well, baptism, it's just a kind of a ritual. No, 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 no. He commanded them to be baptized. Listen, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. Uh, to God, it's a big deal. It's commanded by Peter. It's for the one who has believed and received. That is the person who is to be baptized. It's, it's a new life on display is what it is. In this time, and, and, and let, me, let me tell you this, Cornelius would have known this. A Roman citizen would go through something called Saint, uh, sacramentum, which was a way of giving um, oath to Caesar, to the earthly king. And, and, you know, gladiators or whatever that, you know, say, we who are about to die salute you or something like that. You know, this oath kind of thing that would be given. Let me tell you something. That is where the picture of this baptism is coming from. You're not taking an oath to an earthly king. You're taking an oath to the heavenly king. And that's what baptism is. It's not just getting wet. It is not just, whoo, parents, I've done my job. I got my kids baptized. No, 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 no. It is giving oath to the king. Some of you are adults in this room and you've never made that step. Peter commanded them to be baptized. It's a big deal. It's not just some thing, oh, the Baptists do that and they immerse, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. It's a big deal to God. What's a big deal to God ought to be a big deal to us. And so I just want to encourage you in that area. Maybe you say, well, the next time they do baptism class. No, no, no. You make a call this week. We'll, we'll, we'll talk you through it. Let me end with this. Going back to the, uh, the thought about Ancestry.com. I'd be curious to know how much I really resemble ancestors. You know, my dad died when I was real young. I, 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 always, took it as a, um, uh, I always took it as a badge of honor when people would say, man, that's where your dad was. That's where your dad was. I'd take that as a badge of honor. And, of course, he died at 31, and, you know, uh, so it's a little bit different. But, but I wonder about those things in my physical. I wonder if our spiritual DNA, we're starting to resemble our ancestors. We're starting to look more like Jesus. Somebody can look at you and say, they're more like Jesus. In other words, the question would be this. If you were brought to court, would there be enough evidence to convict you that you're a Christ follower? Would there be? I don't mean how high you can jump. I don't mean that you're attending church every day. I mean, are you starting to resemble King Jesus? Last thought. I was praying for our kids last night and, and uh, that came back from camp. And I was just thinking about that a little bit. Hear me, adults, right quick. We've heard it said before that God doesn't have uh, grandchildren. He just has children. In other words, I can't be dependent on the faith of my parents to carry me. 
I've got to be play one-on-one with God. And as I was praying last night, this thought came to my mind. How many of us are adults and we've become dependent on our kids' faith to give us zeal and excitement for God? You understand what I'm saying? And I'm not saying you got to jump around. I like jumping, but my knees are terrible. I'm, it ain't happening. But yet, just like we preach to these students and our children at VBS, your parents can't make this decision for you about following Jesus closely. Parents, your kid cannot make it for you. It's up to you. I'm going to ask Brett and the team to come on up. I just want to challenge your heart just a moment. Not that we haven't felt challenged already. But I I just want to ask you this. I think out of all those questions I ask you after every scene, the question is really, have you got your identity set in Christ? Listen, uh, there's many times I have to repent. God, I'm... I'm looking for it in other people. I'm looking for, if somebody would just encourage me, and, and that, that would do it. Listen, that may never happen. If my identity is in my health, listen, I could get bad health overnight. If my identity is set in Christ alone, what He has done for me, then my desire should be to get to know Him. And then out of that knowledge of knowing Him, I become an expression to a desperately needy world. How are you? I want you to bow with me. Lord, we have opened your word today. And Lord, the reason this is so penetrating for me is because in Caesarea, through a guy named Cornelius, I was allowed an opportunity to come to know you. So Lord, when I read this story, it is a holy place. What happened in Caesarea became eternal for me. And for us in this room, Spirit of the living God, I pray that you would just come with your freshness today. Lord, as we come into this part of our service that uh, we just kind of ask the Holy Spirit to seal what you're doing in us, Lord. There, there's a reason we have altar time. And I realize, Lord, some, some current theologians are saying it's archaic. But Lord, I, my life's been changed at an altar. It's been changed for other people praying for me. So God, I, I, I just want to walk in what you're giving us. So I pray that in the next few moments, God, that Eternal things happen. Eternal things. Folks, in just a moment, I pray it never becomes routine. There's going to be elders and pastors and prayer teams up here to pray with you. These steps become a place of kneeling and just coming before the Lord. Maybe God will lead you to go across the room and encourage somebody. That 10-second rule, you know, the nudge. But let's just uh, come. Let's be obedient to what He is asking of us.
So why don't you reverently stand with me? Everybody just kind of take their place. And if God's moving on your heart, you come. Father, I pray for these next few moments. May we move this way to what you have for us right now. Maybe somebody is in this room and they haven't taken this thing about baptism seriously. Maybe they need to pray. Lord, maybe, I don't know, God, you do what you're going to do. Jesus' name. Amen.